The reading is from Exodus 2, verses 1 to 10. The birth of Moses. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at the distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just want to pray for Dan as he speaks to us. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for Dan. I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him, make our hearts receptive to all that you have to say to us today. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So there's a common proverb which uh, many of us might have heard of that's firmly rooted uh, in a kind of a biblical understanding. It goes like this. From small beginnings come great things. How many times do we see this theme repeated in Scripture? The life of Moses, like any human, was one which started out very small, but arguably was perhaps the most significant other than Jesus in the story of fulfilling God's redemptive plan for his people. Moses was a forerunner for Jesus, but more about that at the end. Today's story is a favourite of most people because it's touching and so human. You can almost feel the emotion of the mother, the anticipation of the older sister, and the heartfelt pity of Pharaoh's daughter. As with many things in God's economy, small beginnings don't always mean small endings, and it would be a mistake to think they do. So let's just take a look at today's story. And here's a brief recap of Exodus chapter 1. The Israelites, the ethnic group who were descendants of Abraham, have grown into a great nation uh, living inside Egypt. And because of that, Pharaoh, the king of the day, feels threatened by their growth in number and their presence. And so he sets out to reduce the number of Hebrew people in Egypt. After a couple of failed attempts, one involving an instruction to all the Hebrew midwives 
uh, or, and all the midwives, that they are to, uh, basically to commit what amounts to infanticide, killing all newborn baby Hebrew boys. But when that plan doesn't work, he then instructs all the people of Egypt, all the citizens of Egypt, to kill on sight each and every Hebrew baby boy by throwing them into the river Nile. So Hebrew babies were born under a death sentence. And that is the backdrop to the story that we had read to us today that comes from Exodus 2. Moses is born to a son of a Levite woman and a Levite man. So then is also a Levite, a member of the tribe of Levi, who will later function as assistants to the priests in the temple. Interestingly, the man and the woman aren't named in verse 1 of Exodus 2, but we know from later in Exodus 6 and Numbers 26 that they're called Amran and Jochebed. They had a daughter named Miriam, and then a second child called Aaron, and then Moses was their third child. And because of the death sentence announced by King Pharaoh, his mother, Jochebed, hid him for three months. She was anxious that he would be discovered and killed. But as time goes on, she realises that she can't hide him any longer. Presumably his crying will be uh, made known to people. She will be discovered and her child will be killed and she too will probably face execution because of her disobedience. So what does she do? She creates a basket out of bulrushes, places Moses within it, and puts him into the river Nile. Now, according to our Bible translations, the word that we heard read to us was a basket. He was placed in a basket. But the the word used in Hebrew is actually more accurately translated as the word ark. It's exactly the same Hebrew word as we find in the story of Noah. And in reading this account, we're probably meant to be reminded of the ark in which Noah was saved. It was the means by which God saved Noah and his family from judgment and the death and death in the in the river water in the in the flood waters. Here, it is the means by which God saves Moses from death at the hands of Pharaoh and the waters of the River Nile. We see God in action, God's saving action for his people. So next in the story, we heard that Moses' sister was stood at a distance, watching the basket at the edge of the river to see what would happen to her baby brother. Now, this is probably Miriam, and we know that she's mentioned later in Scripture, and this is probably the means by which Moses understands the story of his birth and what happens in those first few years. We know that he is the writer of Exodus, and probably it's his family and probably his older sister that relays to him what took place. But I love what happens next in this passage, in this story, because it's a picture of God's amazing love his sovereign, providential, protective care of Moses' life. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. 
This is what it says. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, I just love the irony here in this bit of the passage and the story. Remember that Pharaoh has ordered all the male Hebrew babies to be killed, as if it were, the, uh, as if it were only the men who were dangerous to his kingdom or a threat to his power and authority. But look how God worked through the women in this story. God, first of all, through the midwives who spared the baby Hebrew boys. God worked through Jochebed, Moses' mother, who hid him for three months, facing possible execution, arrest and execution if she was caught. God worked through Miriam, who watched over her baby brother in the ark, in the river Nile. And lastly, we see God working through Pharaoh's own daughter, who discovers the baby in the basket, and she has compassion on him. Even knowing that he's a Hebrew baby boy, and her father has ordered the uh, destruction of all such children. But then, there's more. This is what's utterly extraordinary. In verses 7 and 8, it says this. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Oh, that's a really good idea. You send someone off and collect someone, and who is the person that Miriam goes to get to nurse the child? None other than his mother, Jochebed. But what's even more astonishing is we then read in the scriptures that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, then pays Jochebed to nurse Moses. Is that extraordinary? I mean, does that not blow your mind as you read this story? An absolutely unbelievable sense of God's faithfulness and goodness. God provides Moses' own mother to be his nursemaid, and she's paid to do it. Only God could work out something like that. Utterly extraordinary. What a wonderful reminder that God is sovereign and that God is good. Those of us who have been parents, who are parents, when you give your child to the Lord, you can trust God's sovereign care. You can trust that God loves your children even more than you do. You can trust that God can take better care of your children than you can. That's a little aside. But as I read this story, what it reminds me of is Joseph's words to his brothers. You remember in Genesis when Joseph has been thrown down the well by his brothers because they're jealous of his favoritism uh, by the way that his dad looks after him. And they seek to try and get rid of him. And they think that he's dead. And at the end of the Joseph story, Joseph turns to his brothers and he says, 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish his plan. And here we have it, a few stories later, God revealing his saving action and power in the life of Moses. I believe as followers of Jesus here today that we have things that we're going through in our lives that we don't understand. We sit here this morning having gone through or perhaps you're still in the process of going through something confusing in our lives. Things we are struggling to make sense of what's going on. I understand something of what that feels like myself. Having experienced the death of a man that saved my life as a child. The death of a close friend in his 20s. The betrayal of a friend. Being falsely accused, being gossiped about, being misunderstood and misrepresented, singled out and picked on. Being in a place of darkness and despair. Not understanding what's going on. I've been to the valley of the shadow of death. I've had those questions. I've wondered what's going, what are you doing, Lord? What what is going on here? I don't understand what's happening. I'm sure that some of you have felt like that. Maybe you are feeling like that this morning. I don't understand. I can't make sense of what is going on in my life. Things where we wonder, why in the world did God allow or send these things my way? Well, let me suggest that maybe you're going through some Moses training. My guess is he couldn't make a lot of sense of all the things that went on in his life. I wonder if you've ever thought of it that way. I'd like to encourage you to look at your life with a kind of a godly perspective through the life of the story of Moses. If you can, it would amount to you seeing your event through God's eyes, a biblical perspective of your circumstances. Sisters and brothers, may I say to you today that we don't have to understand why we're going through what we're going through. As followers of Christ, we don't have to explain everything that's happened to us. But rather, I'd encourage you to cling to the promise in Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God gives us perspective in our times of uncertainty. God says... Trust me. And I guess the question for us is, will we? When we don't understand, when we can't see what's going on, when it doesn't make sense, will you trust your life to the Lord? Because I believe, he says, I never waste an experience. Whether you initially understand that experience or whether you don't, the question is still, will you trust me? Will you trust me with the next step, with the direction that I've set? You see, God didn't waste an experience with Moses. He didn't waste an experience with David or Joseph or the Apostle Paul. And he's not wasting one with you. 
but you are going to have to trust him. You know, God didn't make a mistake with Moses, and he hasn't made a mistake with you either. God knows exactly what he's doing, and we're always left playing catch-up in between. And the call is, will you trust me? in the midst of what looks like a bad situation that you can't explain, that you can't make sense of, because God is good and God is faithful. God is able to take and use all those bad experiences for his good. Nothing is ever wasted in the kingdom of God. He's the past master of bringing good out of bad. You only have to look at the cross to be reminded of that truth. My prayer then is that you would remember the impossibilities of Moses and trust in the sovereignty of God. He just wants us to trust him because he'll never waste an experience if only we could see things from God's perspective. So as I draw towards the close, let me just ask you another question. Have you noticed in this story in Exodus 2 that one character has not yet been mentioned? Nowhere in the text do we find God being named. And yet everywhere we cannot help but think of God and his movement and action within the story. We do not always know or understand how God works in the world, but it's obvious here that God is somehow at work in the actions of these three women. The story is told in kind of quite low-key terms. There's not loads of mind-boggling miracles taking place, and yet we know that's going to happen a few chapters later on. Yet the message here is that God sometimes works behind the scenes in the shrewd actions of mothers, in the love of sisters, and in the compassion of a tyrant's daughter. So in a real sense, this story is about the surprising and unimaginable faithfulness of God in the midst of ordinary human living. This was a story that was told by generation after generation after generation of Hebrew families. A reminder of the boy Moses, their liberator, the giver of the Torah, the law. But they also told it because it gives hope that regardless of how bleak the present or even the future might appear to be, God is able to pull a reversal and bring salvation out of despair. Life out of a tomb. Yet it begins not with great deeds and awesome wonders, but with ordinary people. Small beginnings. And one final point. Notice that Moses... The saviour of Israel was born into the suffering of his people, was born under the sentence of death, was placed in the Nile 
which was to serve as his grave, but was raised out of the Nile to be the deliverer of his people. Remind you of anyone? Jesus, our Saviour, the Saviour of all humanity, was born into our suffering human state. He was sentenced to death, he was crucified and buried, but was raised from dead to be the deliverer of all humanity. Now, I don't want to push the parallels too far, and we should always be careful not to collapse this story into the New Testament. Yet we can see some similarities between the stories of Moses and Jesus. In both Moses and Jesus, God brings deliverance and salvation. The God-appointed and God-called Saviour enters the human plight. He suffers and is raised to new life to deliver his people. God enters our human experience. He takes it on and he saves from the inside out. So whatever particular situation you're facing at the moment that you can't make sense of, that you don't understand, know this. God is faithful. God is present. God is taking it on. And God is working and has worked our salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. The Saviour has met death and he lives. And he's bringing salvation to you and to me now, today, this very minute. We can be sure that our God is good, that our God is faithful, that our God is entirely trustworthy. He's been here He's done it all and he's making the way for you and me today. Let's just be still for a moment or two and I'll just invite you just to be still and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to, to show you what it is that he's wanting to draw to your attention, the thing he's wanting you to take away this morning.